0: Over these next 25 or so minutes, you are going to get an absolute masterclass on passive investing. Ash Patel is one of the hosts of one of the biggest real estate investing podcasts there is and has invested in every type of asset that you can think of from residential, non-residential, businesses, land, anything that you could think of, he's been a part of. He's going to walk us through some of the most important points of being a passive investor, And we'll hear from Ash after a 28-second segment about us. This is the Passive Real Estate Strategies Podcast, where we educate career-driven individuals who have tapped out their earning potential, learn about passive real estate investing, so you can continue building your wealth without compromising your time or taking on more responsibilities. I'm your host and managing partner at Realm Investors, a multifamily syndication group who has helped multiply millions of dollars for our passive investors. Thanks for tuning in and let's get on with the show. Hey investors, welcome back to another episode of Passive Real Estate Strategies. Today, I have a man that really needs no intro, but I'm going to introduce him anyways. If you listen to podcasting about real estate, you know Ash Patel of The Best Ever Show. Ash, we are super excited to have you here. Hey,
1: Justin, how are you, man? Excited to be here myself.
0: Yeah, I'm doing fantastic. And then anytime we get to talk about real estate, that's why guys like us have podcasts because you know, our friends and family are sick of hearing us talk about it. So, so we actually make careers out of it. So I'm excited to have you on because you have quite the real estate resume. You've been active, you've been passive. Kind of tell us about your your resume real quick.
1: Yeah, I've been doing this for over 10 years as a full-time commercial real estate investor. I focus on non-residential commercial. So anything from office, retail, flex, industrial, warehouse, medical, land, things that just don't have showers in them. I don't do self-storage. I don't do mobile home parks because I think the competition is too high on those asset classes Mm -hmm. and the barrier to entry is much lower than non-residential commercial. I've also invested in a ton of passive deals over the years. So I'm probably 80, 20, 80% active, 20% passive. And right now I'm mostly active because passive returns have come down significantly from a few years ago.
0: Yeah. I love to talk about that. So, you're 80% active, 20% passive. And I think that gives you such a unique perspective. That's such a unique blend. What have you learned being so involved on the active side that maybe that passive investor who may never have or may never even want to get on the active side? How has that kind of changed your perception of things?
1: You know, I, I think when I look at how some of these operators handle problems, what solutions they put in place, and how they communicate with their investors is very important because I've often been there before, right? Mm-hmm. I know what it's like to have flooded units. Yeah, You have extended power outages like they had in Texas a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And just seeing how the operator reacts, again, how they communicate and the lack thereof as well. When things don't go their way with zoning, for example, mm-hmm. are they communicating or are we having to find out, hey, why are we not progressing? So it's a combination of how they deal with problems
0: and how they communicate with investors. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so how they deal with problems. So is that, how would you, I guess, vet that? Like if you're going in and you're going to invest as an LP, a limited partner in a, in a, let's say a new sponsor, if you're not that experienced, you're kind of vetting out sponsors. What do you ask to kind of get to the bottom of these things?
1: Justin, that's a great question. I'll tell you what you should ask. And I could tell you that I have not asked these questions, even <laughs> though I should have. And the reason why is you know, you've heard so many people say, I invest in the operator, mm-hmm. you know, I have to believe in the operator. Well, there's times where I've done that, I truly believed in the operator, and it turns out they actually suck as syndicators. And I didn't know that because I, I didn't evaluate their previous syndication deals, mm-hmm. I evaluated them as people and what i what i knew of them in terms of how they operate their mobile home parks for example and I, you know th- they were one of the captains of that industry so i had a lot of faith in them and it turns out i had too much faith in them mm-hmm. because when it came time for them to execute a lot of those questions that i'll tell you to ask i should have asked and i didn't so one of the questions is you know give me three issues that you've had with a property that ended up costing you money and that they were unforeseen and you know it's it's kind of like a resume question hey what's your biggest weakness yeah. well i i'm too much of a go getter you get some bs answer right <laughs> but you got to dig down and if they don't come up with good answers give them time mm-hmm. right say look okay take as much time as you need but there had to have been experiences where you've ended up encountering a situation where you lost money and how did you deal with that how did you communicate with your investors Anybody that, that tells you they've never encountered a situation, they're lying. Move on. Yeah. You know? So yeah, that's, that's an important
0: question to ask. Okay. And so yeah, really seeing, because it, it's just like you said, it, it, everybody kind of paints this rosy picture. And even if you have the references from them, of course, it's like their best absolute top, top, tops, like their, their family members and their friends. So it can be hard to kind of vet that out. And it's not always about that no like and trust aspect. It sounds like you knew, liked, and trusted these people, but when it came down to it, you know, the business side maybe just wasn't quite there or you wanted something a little bit different.
1: I still know them and like them.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Well, you had said something before where you had said, you know, you're seeing returns on the LP side kind of diminish and lower. What are you seeing exactly? Are you seeing lower cash returns now? Is that kind of, a, is that maybe why you moved into different asset classes or how have you seen returns change or maybe business plans change?
1: Justin, I'm probably spoiled because I started passively investing in 2015. Yeah. And back then, it wasn't unheard of to get 26, 28, 30% cash on cash returns upon Jeez. sale. And, you know, they've steadily gone down over the years. And I'm talking about multifamily specifically. Right. Those returns have gotten down significantly. And today it seems like every syndicator is offering 7, 8% PrEF, 15%, yeah. 16% IRR. And, you know, it's even more important now to do some homework on due diligence because we've got bridge loans that could backfire. We've got interest rates that if they were not anticipated could really throw a kink in people's performance. But overall, you know, you're probably looking at 17 to 19% IRR on multifamily deals at best. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And you know, actively, I can get a lot more on my own deals. So as my passive investments are coming due, I'm not
0: renewing for the first time ever. Wow. Okay. So you're taking everything active and are you seeing returns? So do do you raise money for your non-residential or do you do them all yourself?
1: We do. I usually end up taking half the deal and then I raise the other half. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So you have a pretty pretty large stake in each property that you do. So you'd mentioned, hey, about you know, you're know you not too happy with multifamily returns as they are today, because there's so many factors into it. What are you seeing with your non-residential? I mean, are you seeing crazy like those 2030s, like you were seeing a couple of years ago with multifamily, or is, is, are you kind of seeing the same trends? What do you see on that side of the spectrum?
1: I'll give you an example. Our last deal, we offered our investors an 18% preferred return Gee. annually. And the kicker is instead of the 70 30 split, we did a 30 70. So when we go to sell, they get 30% mm-hmm. and us as the operators get 70%. Right. So, you know, because we know on the back end, this deal is just going to make millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to make sure we reward our passive investors upfront because we're going to take a bigger part of the back end. And again, on that deal, I ended up putting 50% of the LP money in mm-hmm. myself. But so we don't touch a deal unless it's 20% cash on cash at closing. Now we've strayed from that a little bit as rates are going up. So yeah. we'll go down as low as 15% cash on cash at inception, but then there better be a great value add component on the back end. Yeah. By the time we exit our deals, they're all 35, 45% or more
0: IRRs. Wow. And so what asset classes? I know you mentioned a couple that you, you really love. Do you see your taste in asset classes changing in the future? Do you see any trends where you're saying, hey, this this class or this asset I really like because I could foresee these things happening? Or are you kind of stay in the course with what you had mentioned before?
1: No, I am asset agnostic. My only metric is cash on cash returns. So look, when, when we had that COVID crash in the stock market, I went all in on stocks, right? And then after I made money, I got out. If the market dips again, I'll not dips if it crashes. I'll get back in. I'll invest in startups. Asset class doesn't matter. I don't care. You know, we're buying a co-working space, right? Yeah. Now, that's a business, man. That's a job. Yeah. And I normally would not have done that. But the cash on cash returns on day one are 34%. Wow. So it's a no-brainer. And that's including hiring somebody to run the entire co-working space. Yeah. So totally asset agnostic. Every day, we'll look at warehouses, land, medical, retail, it really doesn't matter. We'll look at auctions. Anything that achieves our high returns.
0: Nice. So you are much significantly more sophisticated in real estate than the average person, right? And maybe even the average, that's why they're passive is because they they either don't have the time or they don't have the desire to really dive in and truly understand a lot of these things. For that kind of retail investor out there, maybe they have a regular day job and they look to build wealth on the side. Do you think it's safe for them to be asset agnostic or do you think they really, it's too hard to like understand so many different asset classes. Do you think it's safer for them to say, okay, you know, industrial is what I want or retail is what I want to do. Let's just, I'll only look at retail deals because I just can't understand all of these assets.
1: Man, that's a great question. A couple of different ways to answer that. First of all, if you don't have this in your blood, if you're not just an absolute deal junkie. You should not be active, right? Because mm-hmm. you're yeah. competing with people that just live and breathe this stuff like us. Yeah. So then you should be passive if you don't just absolutely love this. And if you're going to be passive, I would attempt to diversify to some extent. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know a lot of people that only invest in multifamily in the Dallas Fort Worth area sure. or you know in the growing Florida submarkets. The problem with that, and we've seen that when market cycles turn those areas have the potential of going down significantly. Mm -hmm. So it wouldn't hurt to invest in mobile home parks, self-storage, multifamily, commercial properties, because they have different market cycle timing, right? And in a a recovery, we've seen industrial is the last to recover. And Mm -hmm. right now, industrial is just on fire. Retail will be one of the first to get hit, which we're seeing some of now. So there could be opportunities to get higher returns in retail.
0: Yeah. Do you think it's, and this is, you know, sort of a loaded question. That I don't know has a great answer, but you know, you can diversify through asset class, you can also diversify through locations. Do you lean one way or another? Do you say, hey, it's more important for me to be in multiple asset classes, even if they're all in the same area, I'm kind of okay with that. Or hey, if you understand just multifamily, hey, do some Florida, do some Carolina, do some in the Midwest and kind of diversify through through region. What's your opinion on that?
1: Another great question. I love secondary and tertiary market deals. I'm scared of investing in deals in Orlando, Miami, Scottsdale. You know, those areas have just had such a run. And I get it. You know, you talk to some of these operators and they've done 12, 15% year over year rent increases. Mm -hmm. And that's great. But at some point, what happens if the music stops, right? Right. So I just, I love secondary tertiary markets that are overlooked that have never really boomed. Mm -hmm. And because of that, they won't bust at the same time,
0: right? Hey, investor, really quickly, I hope you're enjoying the show. If you have topics you want me to cover, questions you want me to answer, or guests who you think would make for a great and educational episode, email me with my email in the show notes. Let's get back to the show. Is there any place that you have in mind that you really like right now?
1: Right now, I love Atlanta suburbs. Okay, They're just on fire. It's underrated.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: everybody is, when they think of the Southeast, Justin, they think Florida, they think of the Carolinas. Atlanta, you know, Atlanta proper isn't really booming, but the suburbs all around the city are on fire and they're just very overlooked. It's just not a hot hotspot in, on people's radar.
0: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. You know, we don't, we also avoid, you know, quote unquote primary markets, Pretty much, you know, I've had a couple of business mentors that have told me, hey, when other people zig, do your best to zag. If everybody's flooding there, you know, because I totally agree with you. If we have 12% rent increases for the last three years, how can I possibly project the next year? Will it be 12? I can't say that. It's going to be half. Yes.
1: And, you know, right now, Justin, you look at how much the middle class is paying
0: Mm -hmm. on
1: rent. In some cases, 40, 50% of their take-home pay is going to pay their rent. And then you look at gas prices continuously increasing as we head into the winter, that puts a lot of stress on people. And you're starting to hear of apartment tenants, slow pay. You don't hear this at real estate conferences, right? Because when you go to those, everybody's rah-rah, man. But when you pull some of these people aside, these big operators, even the small operators, and you ask them, you know, how are rent collections? And they'll tell you, man. Yeah, you know, we're starting to see some slow, <laughs> slow pays, and yeah, you know, it's just too much pressure that you're putting on our apartment tenants mm-hmm. when you continuously raise rent, and
0: inflation's doing what it is. Yeah, and so I have a lot of operators too. Some, uh, so Neil Abala was on my show a little bit earlier, and he had in certain markets totally left that Class C, that Class B minus asset, because he said the data just tells us there's the money's not there. You cannot have people paying like just like you said, upper forties or fifty percent of their income to rent, and then ask them to pay ten dollars more. Like that literally breaks the bank for them. They cannot. Do yeah. It. Another big one is application fraud has been on the rise. I've seen a couple of newsletters saying hey, it's rising, rising, rising for like the third month in a row. That's another. What is that problem. application fraud? So it, it means that tenants essentially have to lie on their applications to qualify because they don't make enough money, but they still need some place to live. Right. And so when they do that, you're there thinking, okay, it's, you know, 33% of their income. It's really 40, 50. And now when their car breaks down, you know, now you have a problem because they can't afford to pay both that they had to pick to yeah. the their rent. So I totally agree. We love those secondary tertiary markets where they're very predictable. I call them unsexy markets. I yeah, don't want a yeah, sexy market. I, hey, I'll take them all day long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So have you ever, well, either actively or passively, I, I assuming you at some point lost money on a deal. Hell yeah. Tell us about a time when you lost money on a deal, whether it was active or passive, and what do you think you could have done to prevent it, or what do you look for now where you say, Oh no, this happened on the deal that I lost big on. I'm gonna avoid that. Man, listen, I've lost money on a lot of
1: deals. Startups, you know, I invested I invested in a ton of companies that it was one of those either they're gonna hit big or they're gonna fail fabulously. And yeah, some of them hit big, some of them failed. Passive investments, you know, we invested in mobile home parks Mm -hmm. with two operators that we thought were phenomenal. One of them, you know, I mentored for a while before he got started and he's gone on to take down some good deals, but this deal, we just run into zoning issues where they won't let him bring in additional mobile homes. And that's not only killing the NOI, but it's preventing a sale because nobody wants to buy a mobile home park. Where you have twenty extra lots, but you can't build, you can't bring pa- right. uh, trailers into. Right. So that's been a huge challenge, and that's the one where the communication's been very lacking.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: the financials that we get are, you know, not very good. I mean, they're not professionally done. Right. Yeah. I mean, a high schooler could have done a better job. And in, in terms of active deals that I've lost money on, this is a pretty good story. A few years after I got into investing in real estate. You know, the time was good, you know, 2012, 13, 14, no matter what you bought, you were going to make money. And I was killing it. And that went to my head. There was an auction in a small town called Ripley, Ohio. It was an estate auction where these commercial real estate investors, husband passed, wife was selling off everything. I was on vacation and I had one of my tenants go to that auction and bid on my behalf. And I was so probably arrogant that while I was on the phone, I couldn't even hear the auctioneer. And all I heard is, "Osh, Osh, you want to keep going? I'm like, yeah. I "I don't even know what number was being thrown out. I'm like, yeah, keep going, keep going, man. I ended up buying like seven or eight properties, had no idea what the hell I was buying. And when I got back from vacation, I went down there. One of the buildings I bought was like half torn down other buildings. And, you know, I thought, okay, look, I've done this before. I've bought vacant buildings. I've bought half unfinished buildings. I'll just go in and do what I've always done. Well, this town was ravaged with job losses and drug use. The politicians were not progressive. So I ended up, it it took me up until three months ago to offload the last property. So I don't know, seven years, eight years, where I ended up selling some of these on land contract. It was just a, a dumb idea. To do this, but it was the kick in the teeth that I needed mm-hmm. to get that ego in check. Right, that not everything I touch is turns to gold. Yeah, and I'm glad I learned that lesson on, on stuff like that, where it didn't cost me a tremendous amount of money. It cost mm-hmm. a lot of time, yeah, aggravation, headspace. So okay. yeah, man, it's a, losing money is part of the deal,
0: wow. right? Yeah. So let's let's go to the the zoning with the mobile home parks. Do you feel like there was a way that that you could have foreseen that as a as a potential investor or is that something that hey you you know you can't really foresee these things maybe they got the approval before then it got pulled. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, good question. If I had dove into their plan on bringing new mobile homes in, I would have made sure that they cleared that with zoning. Part of our due diligence on anything that we buy is have an extensive conversation with anybody from the city council that'll speak with us, but certainly everybody in the zoning department. Mm. We wanna know what they think of this property, historically, what it's done, what they wanna see in the future happen to this property, what challenges there are. If we wanna build out lots, is that something that they'll work with us on? I mean, it's so important to figure out, to make sure that you're on the same page with the zoning people. Yeah. So they obviously didn't do that, Right. right? And yeah. our due diligence, man, that's no matter what type of property we buy, we have those conversations.
0: Yeah, and that's that's one thing too, where a lot of people say, you know, yes, you are a passive investor in funds and syndications and things like that, but there's upfront due diligence. You, know, you got to be able to ask these questions. You got to know what you're talking about, and and you know, definitely pick up the phone yourself and call and say, hey, I'm we're looking at purchasing this property. You know, what, what's the taxes? What do you think? And just kind of verifying those things. So I, I totally love that perspective
1: yeah, and Justin, a lesson to your listeners. you know, I get it. Everybody says, if you know, like and trust the operator, you're good. No, still dive in. And you know there's certain investors that have a CPA background, that have a risk management background. Don't be afraid to ask to speak with other investors on this current deal find out their backgrounds and maybe do some due diligence together, right? So where I maybe don't want to dive into three years of P&Ls, there's other people that will take the syndicator's numbers and put it into their own risk modeling system. And it's important to collaborate with other investors on your deal. And if the syndicator is not open to that, move on, right? But collectively, so I started an investment club to do just that. If we have a startup that's pitched to us, I don't want to sit there and dive into everything. So I just got a bunch of friends together yeah. that have different backgrounds, right? And collectively, we can underwrite or evaluate a startup very easily because mm-hmm. each person brings their strengths to the yeah. underwriting. So do that on these passive deals that your audience is investing in.
0: Yeah. And you know, syndicators do that behind the scenes, whether you see it or not. Within our groups, we, everybody has their lane they stay in. So it, it's not unreasonable to, to think that you should be able to do everything. I mean, stick to what you're really good at and collaborate with other people who are good in other areas. So, Ash, I mean, I, I really, really love the show. I truly believe a a quick 20, 25 minute masterclass, passive investing and investing in general. So, how can people get a hold of you and who should maybe reach out? Pretty easy to get a hold of. Ash
1: at Invest Beyond Multifamily. You can go to investbeyondmultiplier.com. I'm on Facebook, Ash Patel, Cincinnati, LinkedIn, Bigger Pockets. Anybody that maybe wants to invest in passive commercial deals, anybody that truly loves real estate and has real estate investing experience that wants to become active, we have a mastermind. My partner has a women's only mastermind for commercial real estate, but it's it's only for experienced investors. Or if you, have, if you have a deal that you need help underwriting and it's commercial, non-residential commercial, I'll help anybody, man. I love doing that. But yeah, you know, and I want anybody that's active, I want you to take the blinders off and become asset agnostic, right? Just because you do multifamily, don't be afraid to look at self-storage, RV parks, commercial, strip malls, mixed-use buildings. I mean, look at everything, right?
0: Yeah. I love the advice. So listeners, we're going to put all of those resources, all those links in the show notes for you. And while you're there, of course, if you haven't already, make sure you download our free ebook, The Definitive Guide to Passive Real Estate Strategies. Ash, this has been an awesome, awesome episode. Thanks so much for coming on. Justin, you're a rock star, man. Thank you. Well, that's it for today's show. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you're looking to learn more about passive real estate investments, Make sure you head to our show notes and download our free ebook, The Definitive Guide to Passive Real Estate Strategies, where we reveal the ins and outs of the truly passive ways to invest in real estate. We'll see you on the next episode.